Let me ask you the age-old question, are you an optimist or a pessimist? When you see the glass of water, is it half full or is it half empty? When you personally go through one of those weeks that we all go through eventually and some of us seem to go through regularly, are you basically positive at the end of it or are you basically negative? Someone has said it this way, uh, between the optimist and the pessimist, the difference is droll. The optimist sees the donut, the pessimist sees the hole. It's also been said that the optimist is the person who invented the airplane, the pessimist, the person who invented the parachute. But the truth is that we need both of those perspectives, don't we? We need the positive aspect of, of life as well as that aspect of life that looks realistically at the problems and says that life isn't just a bowl of cherries. There's some pits in there as well. It is, in the realm of faith and spirituality, I like to think of it as a place of biblical realism. I've been thinking a lot lately about some in our church family, and many of you are among them, who have this fall been going through some serious struggles, some kind of crisis. Maybe it's been a major surgery for yourself or a loved one, Maybe it's been a sudden death, an illness. Still others, the crisis has involved one of your children. There's, but here's the thing. Even if the end result is a good one, we don't always know how it's going to turn out going in, do we? Now, as I thought about all of that, I've been thinking about the subject of cheerfulness. I want to share with you today, not about optimism, not about pessimism, but about biblical realism. In order to do that and get our thoughts clearly focused, I invite you to go with me back into the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And I want to read, first of all, just a number of uh, those Proverbs, a number of verses that kind of relate to this same subject. First is Proverbs 12:25 that says, Worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. It's mostly an observation, but it's telling us that kind words cheer up those who are discouraged. Proverbs 14.10, each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can fully share its joy. The first part of this is certainly true. There are those of us who have secret sorrows. There are those of us who may look good on the outside, be well-dressed, have a smile on our face, but behind that smile is a story of sorrow a story of heartache that we don't share with anybody else. Proverbs 14, 13, laughter can conceal a heavy heart, but when the laughter ends, the grief remains. How true it is that even when we are laughing and putting on a brave face for the crowd, even when we're going through the motions and trying to be very positive on the inside, there may be turmoil, there may be a heartache or discouragement or even despair. Just because we see somebody laughing and smiling, it doesn't mean that everything's completely okay because underneath that laughter, there may be something we know nothing about. Proverbs 14.30, a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. Now, this is really like life verse quality here. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. In the Hebrew, it literally means envy makes our bones disintegrate. This is an important verse because this verse is telling us that there's some kind of connection between the spiritual and the physical. There's some kind of connection between our heart and our body. 
between what goes on on the inside and what happens to us on the outside. The attitude of the heart has a direct impact on the physical well-being or lack thereof. And if our heart is at peace, it gives life to our whole body. But jealousy is like a cancer in our bones. Proverbs 15, 13. A glad heart makes a happy face. A broken heart crushes the spirit. Verse 15. For the despondent every day brings trouble. For the happy heart, life is a continual feast. A cheerful heart is like sitting down to a feast at the table of the Lord. Now focus for a moment on the theme verse that is our text for this message, and it's found in Proverbs 17:22, And it says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. Now you should put a star by that verse, because it's suggesting something to us. It tells us that there is a relationship between the condition of our heart and the condition of our body. There's a relationship between our physical and our spiritual health. A broken spirit saps a person's strength. Literally means it sucks out the marrow of life from our bones. Proverbs 18.1, unfriendly people care only about themselves. They lash out at common sense. We all know people who struggle with sickness or with illness, and yet when you go to see them, you know, they cheer you up because they are... People who may be down physically, but they actually make you feel better because they're strong in spirit. On the other hand, I've been to see people who are sick, and the spirit is crushed, and when you go to see them, you feel worse when you leave because they've sucked the life out of you in those moments. These verses are telling us that there is a basic relationship between uh, our mental attitude and often our physical well-being. Said another way, what we are in our heart has a direct bearing on our physical health. What's on the inside eventually manifests itself physically on the outside. Now, having said that, I want to ask, why is it that a cheerful heart is so important? And the answer is because of the truth of Romans 8.28. In Romans 8.28, the Apostle Paul says to us, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, it's, it's a difficult world out there. We all know that. It's a world that's filled with sin and with sickness and with heartache and despair, but thank God, sin is not the final word in this world. There is a word beyond sin, beyond the fall, beyond anything, and that it, word is Jesus. Because Jesus Christ came into the world, there is healing, and there is salvation, and there is forgiveness, and there is deliverance, and there is hope. All of those are possible because of Jesus Christ. What does Romans 8.28 mean? By God causes everything to work together. That sounds pretty inclusive. Well, it includes all that can happen in the life of the child of God. It includes the good, the bad, the health, the sickness, the wealth, the poverty, the sunlight and shadow, the high noon and midnight, life and death. All, it's all that can happen in the will of God to the child of God. And it means that Romans 8.28 is still true, just as true in the, in the hospital as it is here in this worship center. It means that when you're in the waiting room and that clock does not move and your loved one is in the hands of the surgeon, no matter what the outcome, 
No matter whether it's life or death or cancer or no cancer, whether you see them again or not, you know that in that moment, you are in God's hands. It's part of the all things that work together for good. There is nothing that can happen to us in this life outside of the knowledge and the care of a loving God. And he will cause all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. At the age of 83, President Ronald Reagan wrote a letter to the American people in which he said that he had just been diagnosed with having Alzheimer's. I encourage you, if you haven't, go back in the archives and read it. It's a wonderful statement of faith. The people who knew President Reagan speak about his Christian faith and his values, and he wrote this letter from kind of that standpoint. He said, I write because I do not want to keep a secret from the American people. My wife had breast cancer, and we told you. They tried to assassinate me, and we told you. And now I've been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and I want to tell you. I want you to know this is so that, so that you will know about us and so that I can encourage other people whose families may be going through this disease. There is a stigma in some places attached to Alzheimer's. As for me, I feel very good right now, and as long as I'm able, I will continue to do the things I've al always been doing. I now begin the journey that will carry me into the sunset of my life. That last sentence was kind of a beautiful phrase. It's picturesque, and in the deepest sense, it almost sounds biblical. At the end of his letter, though, he said, until the Lord calls me home, I intend to do what I have always done, and that is to help people in whatever way I can. Now, this letter reflected a man who seemed to understand that things work together for good. Here's a man who could look at a disease as powerful as Alzheimer's, that has the power to suck the life out of people and say, I still believe in God, and I still believe God has a plan for my life. You see, a cheerful heart is important. And God is saying to us, my children, sometimes in this life, you are going to face things that you can't understand. Sometimes you're going to face heartache and pain and difficulty and go far beyond anything that you thought you could possibly endure. Sometimes you're going to be in the waiting room of life for weeks or months or even years, but I want you to know that even there I am with you and I am working out my plan in your life. So how can we have a cheerful heart even in the darkest moments of life? What are we to do in those moments uh, but maybe stand back and say, quiet, let's let God work. Romans 8.28 tells us that God is at work whether we see it or not, whether we feel it or not, whether we understand it or not, whether we believe it or not, so our attitude does make all the difference. The question is not, do we have all the answers? Because I can assure you that in the moment of crisis, you will not have all the answers. The better question is, do you believe that there's a God who's at work in your situation? The Christian answer is hopefully yes. That there, that's how we can have a cheerful heart even in the dark moments. We can have a cheerful spirit if we believe that there is a God in heaven who loves us and who's at work in a ways that we can't even see or believe or understand in the moment. Again, Proverbs 17, 22. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. 
You know, the Hebrew language has a number of tenses in it, and one of the tenses is called the, called the causative tense. You put a verb in the causative tense when you want it to say one thing, causes another thing to happen, and that's what you have here in verse 22. A literal translation would be, a cheerful heart causes good healing. What the Bible's telling us is that our attitude, the way we approach the problems, the trials in life, actually brings about healing. Kind of amazing, isn't it? There's an old story, and probably some of you have heard it, about Dr. Norman Cousins, who was an, for a number of years on the medical staff at UCLA School of Medicine. About 45 years or so ago now, um, Dr. Cousins was diagnosed with having a strange, rare kind of disease that was destroying the connective tissue of his body. Doctors gave him a battery of expensive tests and said, sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. It's degenerative and it's terminal. Dr. Cousins said, well, I didn't want to just give up. So he set himself on a regimen of exercise and high doses of vitamin C, and then he added something unusual. He bought a projector, he bought, uh, and he began to rent Marx Brothers and Three Stooges movies and all the cartoons that he could find. And for hours every day, he would take his vitamin C and he would watch the Marx Brothers and he would watch the Three Stooges and, and he would laugh his head off. And he discovered that 10 minutes of hearty laughter gave him about a whole hour of pain-free time. So he would watch those movies over and over again, and he discovered, as he did, that he began to feel better. The day came when he went back to the doctor, and they said, you know, we don't know what's happened because this is an incurable disease. But as far as we know, you are completely cured. He lived about another 20 years, and he wrote about his experience in a book called Anatomy of an Illness, in which he made the point that our mental attitude, the cheerfulness or the lack thereof, has a great deal to do with whether or not we get sick or how bad we get sick or whether we get well and how quickly we get well. And what he discovered is that nothing more than what's, uh, what he discovered was nothing more than what Solomon told us about 3,000 years ago, that a cheerful heart causes good healing. I've talked to health professionals over the years who have said that similar things. They tell me stories of people who have come to them deathly sick who sometimes had better outcomes because they had a positive spirit and were surrounded by positive people. I've no, also known people who should have gotten better but got worse, were sick a long time, or in some cases didn't recover in part because they had a negative, hostile, hopeless spirit about them. And I've also wondered over the years whether or not made any difference in terms of health outcomes between being a Christian and being a non-Christian. And I've heard medical professionals again say, yes, we see a big difference between the people we treat who have a strong faith in Jesus Christ and those who don't. We see a difference in the healing process, in the attitude of those who have faith in God. Why should any of that surprise us? All of that is nothing more than what was written thousands of years ago in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Solomon said it, modern medical science took a while to catch up with it. So I want to finish this message this morning by suggesting eight ways that we can cultivate a cheerful heart. First of all, we have to cultivate our relationship with God. That's where it starts. Make sure that we're spending time with God every day. Don't just seek peace with God, but remember that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 says, since, therefore, since we have been made right with God 
are made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has already done for us. Second of all, we have to cultivate a forgiving spirit. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You know, there are people who are suffering today physically because they're angry and they're bitter and they refuse to forgive. Years ago, the Chicago Tribune published a story about a pastor in Connecticut whose son was murdered, and he became friends with the man who had killed his son. And the Reverend Walter Everett forgave the man who killed his son seven years prior. He also helped him to get out of prison early, even officiated later at that man's wedding. There was a quote from the pastor that said, I had known people uh, whose loved ones had been murdered, and years afterwards they were still consumed by the anger and the hatred and I didn't want that to happen to me. The article then talked about the man who killed uh, the pastor's son, a man by the name of Carlucci. And the article said that Carlucci felt redeemed by Everett's compassion, but like a lot of people, he couldn't fully understand how this pastor could forgive him. He said, I have a 13-year-old daughter myself, and if anybody hurt her, I'd probably feel like I would have to hurt them. And then he quotes in a moment in the jail when that pastor forgave him for killing his son. Carlucci describes it, and he says, he told me he had forgiven me because of the love of God. And tears were coming down my face, and it made me feel like I wanted to live, whereas before I didn't care. Now, the only problem with a story like that is that it seems so unbelievable, and yet it is true. There are people who suffer deeply, physically and emotionally, because they refuse to forgive. Envy and forgive, unforgiveness and bitterness rot our bones. Anger rots the human spirit. And maybe if you wonder why you're not doing so well, why you can't sleep at night, why your stomach aches, your headache and back aches, and why you're messed up from time to time and just don't feel good, try looking in the mirror. Maybe there's an angry person staring back. Until we do something about our anger and our bitterness, we're going to be sick because the Bible says it's going to happen that way. It literally rots our bones. Third, we need to dwell on unseen realities. Think about the things that you know to be true, but you can't see. Things like heaven, eternity, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Four, keep a long view of life. Proverbs 15, 15 says, For the despondent every day brings trouble, but for the happy heart life is a continual feast. Does it mean that we're going to go ha-ha-haing our way through life all the time? No. What it means is that we take a long view of life. We stand back and understand that God is involved in every single part of our life. The good parts, the bad parts, he looks at the whole thing. And when we begin to understand that, we can see that we are truly blessed. Fifth, associate with cheerful people. You know, some of us are messed up because we hang around with messed up people. We're angry because we hang around with angry people. Or we're bitter because we hang around bitter people, or we're mad because the people we hang around with are critical and whining all the time. So find some cheerful people and make your own heart cheerful. Sixth, be a load lifter, not a burden maker. 
Galatians 6.2, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Don't be one of those people who make life harder for other people. Be a load lifter. Seven, listen to some good music. You know, God gave us music to lift our sad hearts, whether it's the words to an old hymn like Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Or whether it's um, an old hymn like Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of My Heart, or a modern song like In Christ Alone My Hope Is Found, He is My Light, My Strength, My Song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, what fears are stilled when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. See, music has a way of lifting a tired heart. God gave us good music and said, told us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to lift the spirit. And here's the last one, live a life of active love. I ran across a sentence recently that says, a selfish person can never be cheerful. They can be happy, but they'll never be cheerful. Only a giver can be cheerful. Only a lover, a person who invests in the lives of other people can really be cheerful and positive about life. So get involved in the lives of other people and have a cheerful spirit. Some of you have had the experience of sitting in a surgery waiting room, waiting on the news of a loved one. And the surgery, which was originally to take an hour or so, stretches into three or four hours. Well, what happens? You find yourself emotionally exhausted. Your mind begins playing tricks on you. You don't know, so you, do, so you worry. Sometimes you fear the worst. I read a story, a sad story, about a man who had cancer. He was very old. The doctor was trying to help him deal with the situation. He said, don't you have some children you can talk to? The man said, no. A wife? No. Parents? No. Brothers and sisters? No. Don't you have... Friends you can talk to about this? No. You go to church somewhere? No, I gave that up years ago. So the doctor said, well, who's going to help you go through what you need to go through? And the man looked at his doctor and he said, well, I guess nobody. You're the only person I have to talk to about this. See, here was a man who had accepted the fact that he was going to die all alone. And as I read that, I thought, what a horrible thing. Life is hard enough if we know Jesus. How does anybody do it without God? How does anybody live one day without God in their life? What do you do in the struggles of life if you don't know Jesus? Where do you go if not to the Lord when it's your family in crisis, when it's a matter of life and death? But thank God for Jesus. Thank God that he's alive and Jesus said, I am with you always. I will never leave you. I can tell you that I have felt God's presence in my life so many times. I have experienced his hand helping me and some of you can say that very same thing. And if you don't know Jesus today, my heart goes out to you and I invite you, no, I urge you to turn away from whatever's keeping you from God and run to him because someday you're going to need him and you're never going to regret it. I don't know what all of you have been through in your life, especially in the recent weeks and months, but I do know that for some of you, life has been pretty tough. Just know that Jesus will carry you through anything. He is a wonderful Savior. So be encouraged, people of God. Lift up your heads and rejoice, for the Son of God who has brought us this far will be with us to the end. And no matter what happens, the Lord Jesus Christ has promised to be with us. Thanks be to God.